cranky. We have chosen a selection of songs that speaks to the nation as a whole. You have a surgery when you get your appendix out. You got a boob. Yep, surgery. Things America needs right now that is sunshine and optimism. Yay, Also, angels. You can't hit me. Well, sure I can, unless you got yourself knocked up again, slut. Yay. Send her to an active crack house. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the choir room. We are back for another of our take two episodes as we are revisiting another episode of Glee. Uh, we've been having some fun so far. This week, we're in here with a bit of a different assignment for this take two. Um, recently, unfortunately, unfortunately, the world lost a, a legend in the Broadway community, uh, Stephen Sondheim. And uh, there actually is an episode of Glee, uh, in case anybody forgot, that is uh, more or less a tribute to him uh, a lot of his songs a lot of his uh you know a lot of his music uh that he's written so we are actually here today to talk about that episode uh it is bash from season five but of course before we get to that and we have a guest with us today let me welcome in my co-host aman aman how are you i'm wonderful um yeah we did we did lose lost a good one um I think it'd be a good idea. I mean, we can bring in our next guest, our, our next guest, our, our next guest. guest and our guest. <laughs> we can bring, bring in our guest before I pose this question, but I just wanted to like, sort of like, um, hear how all of us sort of discovered Sondheim because I was sort of late to the Sondheim party. Um, and, but you know, as soon as I become familiar with his work, I was like, Oh wow, this, this guy is, uh, he's, he's a genius. Good for him. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was very sad to to hear that he had passed, and I'm glad that Glee um, has quite a few of his songs in their catalog. Yes. Um, before we get into this episode and uh, bring in our guest, just how are you? How's uh, everything going? We uh, have at the, so this podcast is going to come out in probably like a week or so, maybe less than a week, but we still haven't seen Darren yet. We've been teasing it. We're seeing him on Monday, pending any you know messiness from the Omarion uh, variant from our friend COVID, not our friend. Um, but I mean, it's, oh, yeah, fuck her <laughs> should be happening. So in case anybody's still waiting for the report, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it, that, uh, this goes off without a hitch and that we stay safe and everything. Everybody go get your booster. Um, if you haven't been vaccinated, get vaccinated. If you're not into wearing masks, get back into assist because unless you want to go back into lockdown and binge watch Glee again, I mean, by all means, Binge watch Glee if you must. But yeah, don't, don't put that do part it. as part of the equation. Do People it under your own volition. Don't do it because you <laughs> are locked down again. <laughs> um, yes. And then uh, just also to update everybody, the uh, Snicks Miss Charity Drive did end actually as of, uh, well, we're recording this on Saturday, so it ended yesterday on Friday, uh, Friday night the 17th. You definitely can still donate to the Alexandria House uh, in memory of Naya or just in general. Uh, if you want to, to go onto their website, Alexandria House uh, LA. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they raised over $70,000. I don't know what the final total was, but, um, it was, you know, a really, really, uh, nice live stream that they did on Friday night. They had people that I don't think were even there the first time around when they did it last year. Um, they had Amber Riley came by, they had, um, I'm off the top of my head, like, like who was there last year? Who wasn't whatever. Um, but it was a really nice night. They, uh, did, they sang some songs, they were telling stories, uh, some tears, some laughs. So all around a good time. And if anybody missed it, you can definitely check it out on the, uh, on YouTube. So just go to Kevin or Jenna's page. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, it was a nice treat and, uh, you know, for a great cause in memory of a great person. So just, uh, throwing that out there. 
Uh, it just warms my heart that uh, Naya Rivera was such a big Christmas fan. That just, I love that. I love that because me too. <laughs> <laughs> they were talking about like what would what would Snixmas look like today, and they were like, I mean, I mean, what would it look like uh, a in COVID times, but also like, uh... I mean, yeah, what would it look like today? But I don't even know how like how far the, how much farther you go because I mean I listened to that section of the audiobook where she talked about how she had like a, a snowblower. Like just shooting snow onto the house, lights everywhere. She even hired little people to be elves, which I kind of feel a little certain kind of way about. But then again, <laughs> they are being paid; they are making money, so I'm sure she paid them very generously. Um, so, like, yeah, like she she was already going all the way out. So, I mean, where do you go when you're already like at the top? Like, do you just go to the North Pole at this point? You, like, have a destination Christmas party? <laughs> like, where do Kev- you go? Kevin mentioned that you know because she was doing these back in you know when they were filming episodes regularly like this these started uh while they were you know filming the show um i don't know what season it was but she was saying that she wanted like the next one to be big and kevin was like how big and she's like you know a couple of episodes pay uh and he was like are you kidding me like a couple of episodes like one episode on glee is probably a hell of a you know a chunk of change let alone multiple episodes for a christmas party so uh you know in case probably got paid if i had to use my industry smarts Pro- well, it depends. Like in season one, season two, they were probably being paid like around twenty to thirty thousand dollars per episode. By the time season three hit and Glee was like in its, they probably got a raise to like around mm, I want to say fifty to sixty thousand. So that's quite a lot of money. <laughs> that's a I lot hope of a cast money. member listens and they're like, "No, you idiot! We got so much more than that." <laughs> I don't think they did because I every like I sometimes I pay attention to, to the trades and it all like every year they come out with like the top you know, the top highest paid actors in television and the highest paid are always making like around $500,000, $100,000 to $500,000 per episode. And some of them like Ellen Pompeo for Grey's Anatomy, that girl is making like almost a million per episode. It's like bank. So I have to imagine the kids of Glee are making under 100,000. So I'd say 50,000. Also, no, I'm remembering. uh, So Jessalyn Gilsig was there with, it was like, she did a really funny video with her and, um, Jamie Mays, uh, obviously Terry and Emma, if anybody doesn't know the actors' names. So it was like really fun to see those two back on screen together. Matt Morrison wasn't there, but they did get John Stamos on screen uh, for a little bit of it because John Stamos and Jessalyn Gilsig had worked together in the Big Shot show for uh, Disney Plus. So there's you know a connection mm-hmm. there. And it was just a very funny, unexpected surprise there. So again, uh, check that out if you have not yet. But um, let's stop uh, talking and uh, yeah, not having brought guests. in... What'd you say? She's, she's out in the cold right now. I know. <laughs> Let's bring in our guest, who we are both very excited to have here today. Uh, for the first time in the choir room, we are joined by one of your podcast partners on the Drag Race Rehap Up. It is Beth Dixon. Beth, how are you? I'm a little cold from being outside. No, no, no. no. I'm totally yeah. fine. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you, um, not only about Glee, but about Sondheim and just kind of have a chill time. Yes, uh, with the, I mean, you have a great vibe going on with the tree in the background. I wish right, I could yes. fit a tree behind me. Uh, not that I'm even on <laughs> video, but um, just you know, it does. You put a little tiny spirit. one, you know, uh, like that, like like tape it to your wall. <laughs> I guess maybe we'll we'll work on that for 2022. Um, but anyways, Beth, how are you? Uh, welcome to the choir room. We should have had you around on the first th- time through, but I don't know if I knew that you were a Glee fan in any way or what. Maybe you were hiding it from us. Yeah. I'm, uh, so I will say I was a huge Glee fan um, up until about season 
I don't know. I think it's like three or four. I mm-hmm. specifically remember, and this is going to sound so bad. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I specifically remember the episode where I went, okay, I'm done, was the Christmas episode. <laughs> and here we are, Christmas time. Which but, one? No. It's the, it's the one where they're like, I think they're filming like a movie yep, or something. Season three. Like a hand- <laughs> Oh, I I thought it was so bad and corny Uh, that I was like, I can't. And like that season, uh, season three up until that point, I'd been like going like, "Mm, I don't know if this has the vibe I really liked about the show. So I stopped watching it consistently. But then I watched a few episodes after that, like, you know, when they're at Niata and that kind of thing. So I I haven't watched all of them. So I apologize to your listeners if they're like, why is she even on if she hasn't watched all the episodes? I apologize. But I have seen all the Sondheim related um, uh, songs and clips so there we go <laughs> yes um yeah uh i please uh, nobody needs to have watched every episode to come on that like you know just because we're, <laughs> we're, we're the crazy people out here doesn't mean everybody has to be um <laughs> but yeah this episode is a tribute to uh steven sondheim which i'm on uh you want to go back to what you were saying earlier i think you had a, i don't know if you had a question or you know a way to move yeah, forward with the topic. I, just, I wanted to know where along your life journey you sort of stumbled upon Sondheim music. I mean, if it was Glee or if it was something before, if you'd seen a musical of his, things of that nature. I know for me, um, I mean, I, I really got into musical theater in sixth grade. That's when I started to become a fledgling performer. And then it only got, it only reached new heights when I got to high school and we started taking our shows a lot more seriously. And so some of his music had always like sort of been in the vicinity of the things that I come into contact with, but we never did any of his musicals. And so my first real dive, I think, even as a musical theater nerd, into Sondheim was Disney's 2014 um, film version of Into the Woods with James Mm. Corden and Emily Blunt Mm. and Johnny Depp, Lila Crawford. Meryl Um, Streep. Meryl Streep. How could I forget? I should have started with her. I don't know. I'm sitting here and I was like, oh, gosh, I can't forget Meryl. I can't forget Meryl. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They are going to come for me. But, yeah, um, that was the first time that I really got into his stuff. And I was like, wow, like. I, I adore these lyrics. I adore this music. It's sort of offbeat, but not. It's very intricate. It's very meticulous. And he has a very signature sound. And I, you know, that's when I started to actually study like what, you know, what he's been about. And then I learned about West. Well, I know about West Side Story, but I didn't know about the Sondheimness of West Side Story. And um, all of his other, all of his other plays and shows and company and just so much stuff. Um, he was a true talent. And I've always been very jealous of um, one of the people that I worked with in college, she, I did a uh, a concert version of Kiss Me Kate, and the pianist that was doing it actually got to work and play um, for Sondheim, um, and she like she got to speak with him and everything, and she said that he was so nice and she was so nervous to perform his music in front of him because she didn't want to mess up. And he like told her like, you didn't look nervous at all. You did everything perfectly. It was great. So he, not only was he just a talented person, but he was a kind person and he is team queer. A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just, uh, yeah, um, I was, I was very sad to hear about his passing, but he lived a long and great life. And so I, I'm glad that he has left behind all of this, wonderful stuff and i'm so sad that he passed just shy of the release of west side story the film um but yeah he's so uh, many things yeah he it's so crazy to me because i don't know if you all had caught this or not but i literally watched the episode of the late show with stephen colbert that he was on like a week and a half before he passed and Mm -hmm. i mean he obviously 
was what 91 when he mm-hmm. passed or something like that yeah. um and, life, and, yeah. and he had this long life and he he didn't look you know in the best of health when he was on the show but he was still so animated and giving with every he was there to promote company because company was going into previews to like a few days later he was mm-hmm. at the first premiere of company um sat in the fourth row on broadway and uh apparently had been very uh, kind and was had worked with that cast. And then um, our friend Sam Moore and myself actually went together and saw Company three days after that. So I was three days away from being in the same theater as Stephen Sondheim oh. and seeing my favorite musical of his, which is Company. Um, but yeah, no, it's he he was writing a musical still. He was still writing. So it'll be interesting to see if that ever gets finished or oh, if they I ever released anything. And I hope they do. He had a writing partner. So I hope that they continue it. Um, and I I forget what the name of the Damn, was. Damn, at 91, but, still at 91. writing shit. That's crazy. Yeah, I yeah. I hope my brain is still like... Look, when you have a gift eat. like that, it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't just it's go amazing. away. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, cases where, you know things could take it away but it's uh it's incredible mm-hmm. and uh you know my perspective on on all this is that i am not anybody i'm not somebody who was familiar with his work probably before glee i mean i think that's the fairest mm. way to put it because um as much as i have very vague knowledge of a lot of different musicals movies all this stuff like you know a lot of a lot of his work that's been put into uh other places that i've taken it in um half the time I probably just didn't even know that it was his because I didn't mm. necessarily know who he was for a large portion of my life. But I would say that since we started this podcast, since I was paying more attention um, and, you know, really appreciating, I was like, Oh, this guy's like got some good stuff, like understatement of the, you know, lifetime. But um, <laughs> so I don't know I, if, if anything, you could say that I'm kind of at like the beginning of my journey of appreciating uh, Stephen Sondheim, Stephen Sondheim's work. So, um, you know, of course that's unfortunate that that's beginning for me at, at a time that he's, uh, you know, left this world, but um, he's left, like Amon said, he's left behind, you know, so much that, you know, I can spend the rest of my life appreciating that if, you know, you know, so that's that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I had, um, I kind of, I discovered him in the mid 2000s for a couple of reasons. I actually used to be a really huge fan of Desperate Housewives when it was on. And I don't know if many people know this, but at least at the beginning, if not all the way through the series, all of the episodes were named after Sondheim lyrics and titles of different songs. So if you go back and, and look at any of the episode titles, you're like, oh, that, that's interesting. So that caught my eye as a piece of trivia when I'd been watching it. And at the time I was really big into, um, I was in high school and going into college and I had this whole struggle of, I don't want to go to college for theater. Like in my mind, I thought it would be quote unquote a waste, even though I don't think it was at all. Um, and then I ended up going to a, a small liberal arts school where um, I still work called St. Lawrence University. And they didn't have musicals there, but they had this class that was um, kind of a musical theater studies history class. And so we went all the way back to like 1861 or whatever it is with the black crook, which we, you could barely call a piece of theater. But apparently that's what's considered the first <laughs> musical. Um, and it lasted like the six black and a half hours. The black are coming for you right now. I know. <laughs> Come at me. Uh, <laughs> You know, Jebediah from 1861 is kind of, no, so I kind of got to see the whole history and there's just, you know, you get to the fifties and sixties and then it's like, okay. And then entered Sondheim. Like you go from Agnes DeMille in Oklahoma and then you move to, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein and then it's Mm -hmm. Sondheim you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he really did influence so many people in different ways because musical theater up until 
a lot of what he wrote was um, very whimsical and kind of upbeat. And even if there were things that were darker, there was always a happy ending. And I love that Sondheim wrote because not everything ends in a happy ending. And he, mm-hmm. a lot of his um, take things that we know and love and twist them upside down, look no further than into the woods. Um, look at something yep. as dark as Sweeney Todd. Um, mm-hmm. I love the, and then that's how I got introduced to company is that my professor um, showed us the 2006 revival of company that uh, Rural Esparza was the lead in and they have it on DVD. And so I now own it because I watch it like all the time. It's my favorite. Mm-hmm. It was a John Doyle production. And for those who don't know who John Doyle is, he's um, a director and what he's kind of famous for is taking different Sondheim shows and other shows in general, but mostly Sondheim and um, making either most of the cast or all of the cast the orchestra as well. Mm. So in that version, all of the couples um, and the three girlfriends are all the musicians, and Bobby doesn't play a music. saxophones with that choreography. Oh, my God. So good. It's so good. It's like, like, damn, I thought I had talent. I don't hold a candle (laughs) to that. It's like so amazing. I love that that version so much. <clears throat> and then um, that kind of opened my eyes to other, you know, and I, I think everybody kind of like I had already seen West Side Story multiple times and had the movie of that. But like I'd never known that he wrote the lyrics to it. Me neither. So that one, was a late discovery of mine too. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, I mean, I, I learned it in that class. So I was like, I guess my first introduction was West Side Story, but I wasn't aware of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then over the years, I got to see a few shows on Broadway, um, including Gypsy when Patti Lapone was in it. Um, I, hey. You can't beat that. That was a pretty remarkable experience. I also uh, asked her for an autograph at the stage door, and she told me no, and it was Whoa. great. Um, <laughs> I've never, I've never been so like. I was like, okay, you said no to me. Like it's great. Meanwhile, like Rachel Berry and, and Finn Hudson just find her in the middle of a restaurant, you know become best friends yeah oh my god she was what is she oh no no no! it wasn't an autograph i'm sorry i asked her i said can i ask you a question and she said i don't do questions that was what she told me and the best part about that is i kid you not like a week later on broadway.com it was ask a question of patty lapone oh no you write it like no she said she doesn't do questions i was i I was literally i think i submitted the question i thought she didn't do questions what has changed (laughs) in the past week (laughs) oh good time so yeah i i've i'm not gonna say i'm like the biggest sondheim expert in the whole world because Mm -hmm. i'm the type of person that i would rather see the show and experience the music for the first time as a part of the show. But there are a few things like I haven't seen Follies, but I've heard quite a few songs from it. A few that are in the episode that we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a few other shows that I haven't seen yet. I also just saw Assassins, which is on off Broadway. Um, I saw that a week before company. So he's got a lot of different things going on. So if you're in New York city, go see two shows of his that are professional productions and you can go see West side story, which I have seen. And it was fantastic. I think it's better than the original movie, to be perfectly honest with you. But yeah, sorry. That's my spiel about Sondheim, <laughs> how I know him. Amanda, do you but have I anything don't. else to uh, bounce off of there? No, I think I think that's pretty much it. I just, um, I, I always have like a 
a special place of admiration in my heart for anybody that can that writes their lyrics and their music. I think that's mm. just so that's not an easy thing to do. I think it's one of the things that makes Taylor Swift so successful is because she writes her tunes and her lyrics. And I think the special thing about Sondheim was that how much the lyrics sometimes would influence the music itself um, and the rhythms and the cadence and the phrasing. Like it, he was just very meticulous with his work um, and he knew how to meld music and lyric together. And it's just, mm-hmm. we lost it. We lost the giant. We really did. We did. He, he, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. No, 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 no. All you. Um, what was well, I was just going to say is that what I think is interesting is he did learn a lot from Rogers and Hart, which were like the 30s mm-hmm. and 40s partnership that Richard Rogers had, where um, Rogers would write the music first, and then Hart would fit the lyrics to the music, and then Rogers and Hammerstein worked the opposite way. Hammerstein would right. write the lyrics first, and then Rogers would write the music to it, and then um, you know. Oscar Hammerstein worked with Sondheim a few times and they were good friends. Um, I know that Stephen Sondheim often dedicated a lot of what he did to, to him and worried that he didn't live up to the expectations. And I was like, "Mm, you far surpassed them. Um, (laughs) But I think that having that knowledge of sometimes you have to write the lyrics first and figure out what the melody is after. And and sometimes you have that melody and you have to find the right words to express it. I completely agree with you. Iman. Um, it's it was fun to kind of go through his history and see. You can tell the times where he must have written the lyrics first, right? Right, um, and that kind of thing. So it's very interesting. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about the uh, you know we're, we're going to get into this episode today that has a couple of uh, you know pieces of his work in this episode bash, but um, also there's a couple of uh, or not even a couple, a handful of songs that have been on Glee in the past uh, before season mm-hmm. five that um, you know we're not specifically talking about today, but uh, just again in case anybody is not uh, super caught up on you know what uh, what of his his work has been covered on the show. There's a lot here, Mon. Yeah, there is a there is a lot of Sondheim more than I you know when he when we decided to do the show it's like actually you know there's there was quite a bit I mean there's Bash of course you got no one is alone in this episode you got nothing's gonna harm what you got um not what while else I'm is around. in this episode not, not while, while I'm, I'm around. around you've got I'm uh, still here I'm still here Broadway baby Broadway, Broadway baby. baby just so much and then before that you we in season four you had Kurt singing um. Uh, we'll being alive, <laughs> I'm blanking. Being alive, um, mm-hmm. and of course, all of all of West Side Story in season three. Um, so there's like there's quite a bit. We have uh, not getting married was the uh, yep. Emma's uh, Emma's big one in the uh, wedding episode. I do season four. I want to do that song so bad. Like I want to be Amy so bad. I'm like I'm at the perfect age to play Amy right now, and so if somebody will cast me so I can sing, <laughs> and getting married, I will be there to hear you sing every single syllable of every single word of that song. And oh, I was I was reading so a review good. of uh, of that of Emma's performance or Jamie Mays's performance in that song, and they were you know complimentary of her and everything, but they were saying you know the true joy of that performance or that song is to hear you know the the live actor on stage you know going through that entire song you know in the way that it's 100%. written and meant to do. Um, but you know if anybody 
has not had that chance yet, like me or anybody else, you know, getting to see Emma do it on the show and just to have now familiar familiarity with the song. Um, I'm glad that they did it there. We also have, like uh, Amon said, we have all of West Side Story uh, season one. We have Rose's turn um, somewhere mm-hmm. in season two. I want to say that is. Um, and then what else? Uh, when do, when does Kurt sing? I'm still here. That's. That's in, oh, that's in this episode. episode. That's, in that's in this one. That's in this one. He sings "Being Alive" in Swan Song in season four. Yes. He also sings "Rose's Turn," Kurt's Turn, back yeah. in season two in, season... in duets. Not not duets. That's season one. What is he singing? Season one? Oh, yeah, it is season, season one. Oh my god! Like I, could, I was confusing "Rose's Turn" and um, some people. And, uh, no, "Le Jazz Hot" in oh. duet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> similar. <laughs> He's on stage. A little similar. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a, there's a bit here. They, they, they got the songs of Sondheim up in this bitch. Beth, did you have any thoughts on any of the ones that we're not really particularly covering today on, uh, you know, anything? Did you rewatch any of them or do you remember? Yeah, I went through and I rewatched. So I still on my phone from when I did watch Glee, I have all the Glee covers I liked the most. And Kurt's turn was a hundred percent on there because I had just seen, Patty Lapone do it. And I really loved hearing Kurt sing it. And so what I think is interesting, and this is where I'm going to come down on Chris Cole for a little bit. I'm so uh, sorry. It's kind of what we do all the time. Um, <laughs> we do. And it's it's that... not Chris. It's the songs that they make him sing. That's my main gripe. I know. Could not love I, Chris I'm more. I'm going to say it's this just... is Chris here. Okay. Oh. Where was, where was the intensity in the emotion in being alive that you brought in Rose's turn? Being alive when he sings that, I'm like, don't get me wrong, sings it beautifully if you're doing it for a concert. But that is the ultimate song from Company. That is everything leads up to that song where the Bobby realizes, I want to be married. I want to sacrifice things of my life for somebody. It needs to be somebody. I need somebody in my life. And it, I didn't get that necessity from him. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really felt like he, you know, it, it seems like he's, you know, applying for Niada at that point, and he so desperately wants to get in, but it just was like, I'm gonna sing very pretty, and that like, the, I just didn't get the whole intensity of it. And uh, okay. I, it's, then I went back and I listened to Rose's turn. And I'm like, that is full of emotion, all the way through. And so I've been like, ah, oh, I wish he brought some of that. You know, to don't get me wrong. Again, yeah, no, I mean, I wonder if that's like a personal that. choice from the actor or from you know yeah. the producers being like this because the moment in the episode there for him is you know him applying for he or he he wants to re audition for Niada, um, and he doesn't even exp- like he has no idea that he's getting up there for that performance. He has no idea that uh, that uh, I was gonna say Whoopi that Carmen was gonna call him up there and say, "Oh, go ahead, Kurt." Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's Whoopi, <laughs> and, <laughs> and give us your best. So, like within like just again from from not knowing that song or the context of anything about it. Um, just, he gets up there and he gives a performance. Like, I feel like he tries to be a little bit tamer because when he did, uh, his audition originally in season three, um, I'm on, I'm blanking on the name of the song, um, that he auditions with, um, Boy Next Door, right? Story. Is it Boy Next Door? Oh, for, um, yeah, it was Boy Next Door. No, right. well, originally it was supposed to be, um, music of the night, and then he switched it to right. So boy next girl. when he does the, not the boy next door, like he's all over the place, and he's you know uh, big chaotic energy there. So I don't know. I feel like from the character's perspective, doing this calmer, like just very presentable version of, of this song. But again, I do not know yeah. what the song is supposed to be. So yeah, it's an interesting moment. Um, is I don't know if if anybody have you have 
either of you seen Company? It sounds like I'm Amon might have seen the the DVD with because you saw the saxophone. I've seen, and such. I've seen like bits and pieces of gotcha. the DVD. Yeah. So basically, Company is a very different musical um, in the sense that it's. I think they call it technically like a feminine script, which is that it's it's not linear, um, and it's really kind of a series of vignettes mm. about that circle around Bobby's relationships um, with Bobby's like five couple friends and then three girlfriends. Although in the Broadway version, they did a lot of gender swapping. And so Bobby's a woman in the current show. Um, and then still five couples and it's the three boyfriends who are, who are there instead. Um, and then also getting married today. I'm sorry. I have to say this cause it's so good is a gay <laughs> couple and it's Jamie who's singing Amy instead Amy's part. It's so good. Um, but the whole point is that at the end of this, you know, <clears throat> the character of Bobby's in their mid thirties and, just realizes how much they've had walls up in their entire life and like really need someone to help them feel alive. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you need to be chaotic with this, but just something that's not stand there and sing and that's it. But just like have like one or two moments where you bring the, the dynamics down, like someone to hold me to clean or whatever like that mm -hmm. and then kind of build it back up okay that would have been like oh yes show me that desperate because desperation doesn't have to be chaotic it can mm -hmm. be quiet it, it has these different levels but it was just kind of like the same dynamic the entire way through and it should build and it didn't build for me but that's the only thing like don't get me wrong like chris colfer is an amazing and singer so also they're I'm giving like, him that episode or that song in an episode where they give uh leah michelle two solos and they're kind of like sharing the <laughs> yeah. stage there and being like all right I'll so <laughs> it's like we have only so much time to not spend at mckinley with the other kids and we're giving you guys all this time to sing <laughs> in this room here for carmen thibodeau uh so gotta kind of hurry it up yeah that's crazy well so that's yeah. what i have to ask a question for though Yes. So the episode that we're going to cover, Bash, was purely in New York City. So when you got mm -hmm. to season five, was it only New York City kids or was it or did they go back and forth? No. So <laughs> so season the tea. four, <laughs> season four and season five um, happened in the same year. So the finale of season four is like the is like mid school year. They pick things right up season five. And then they unfortunately they lose what is it regional section they lose one of the competitions and Sue had become principal at that point and she said well if you don't win then you're out at that point they tr he tried to like save it by bringing back April and and whoever else and Holly Holiday didn't happen so they decided okay Glee Club is over it's done and then after that they went and did the full transition and did a bit of a, a time jump. So Blaine had already graduated. Tina had already graduated. Blaine is now in New York. And then it's just everybody in New York together. Sam is um, trying to pursue a modeling career. Artie is in film school. Blaine is now at Niada. Mercedes is there to record her album. And it's just those like six alumni. Yeah, so you, you didn't it. really miss much, much actually, Beth. This is like the second episode, I'm pretty sure, into the New York era. So the, season yep. five is 20 episodes. Nice. Um, okay. And then the first 13 are split between new york and and back at uh back in ohio and then starting with the episode right before this one is when we focus on every character that you see here uh essentially back in new york uh you get a little bit of santana as we get towards the second half of this second half of the season mm -hmm. um and britney shows up as well and you know they kind of mix in uh, sue comes back in for an episode will's back for for rachel's opening yeah. night and all but uh for the most part it's a bit new york it's a and... controversial decision because mm -hmm. A lot of the newer McKinley kids, so Jessica Benoist and Alex Newell, Blake Jenner, Jessica. Jacob Artis, 
What did I say? Jessica Melissa. Benoist. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa Benoist. Um, they all sort of, they don't really talk too much about it, but you could tell, like, Alex has been a little bit vocal about it. He's like, that was kind of fucked up what they did to us. Like, we were, we signed on for an entire season, and then mm. we just sort of got... <laughs> well, don't worry. He, he made his way back yeah. the next wow. season. Like, you guys are not just forgetting about me. You're going to bring me back <laughs> and make sure right. I'm still on the stupid show until it ends. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was it was it was messy. I can agree. Like from an actor standpoint and from a storytelling standpoint, it was very messy decision to make to just drop all those characters and we never see some of them again ever. Like mm. like we never see Marley ever again. Which I guess I'm not too sad about that. But yeah, it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of messed up. Um, but I will say that I am a huge proponent of the New York era of Glee season five. I think it's some of the best Glee that there is. I know that that's a controversial statement, but I stand by it. So, hey, well, here we are. As we get into this episode, it seems like that's where we are heading. Uh, Beth, what did you make of this episode? It sounds like this was the first time you've seen it. This was the first time I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I also really appreciated the recap in the beginning. I'm like, all right, I've caught up. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> you got um, to have the here's what you missed, Ungly. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so perfect because I was like, okay, what's the Sam, like, Mercedes thing happening right now. Oh, okay, okay. They had history. Okay, here we go. Great. I missed that. Um, so no, I really, I, I thought this was a great episode. I, I, in terms of plot, I don't understand if Rachel has a leading role on Broadway. She does. Why, why mm-hmm. is it a big deal to Kurt that she's dropping out of college? <laughs> like she can always <laughs> go back. I don't get it. Like I understand, but I'm also kind of like. Do you really think that she wouldn't take a leading role in her dream musical on Broadway? Like I don't know. Well, the I whole just... the whole argument was that like Niada is a school where you are able to pursue other things while attending school. Like they're able to manipulate gotcha. your schedule and things of that nature. And there was like so much. Like Rachel was sort of becoming a little flighty with her responsibilities, gotcha. and Kurt was like, "This is like your foundation, and if you do this, like." you're really going off the deep end. Like you already were kind of being irresponsible with your classes whilst auditioning for the show. So like, gotcha. what are you doing, girlfriend? And obviously she didn't give a shit. So <laughs> that makes more sense. Cause coming into this without seeing the build up to that, I was like, it, it, why is it a big deal that she's dropping out of college to pursue a dream that she could always go back to college for after her mm-hmm. run is over? I don't know. Like, and see, it's like mm-hmm. also setting up that Rachel over the over the rest of this season and going into season six as well is going to just be back and forth, up and down with, uh, you know, is this what she wants to do? Does she want to do this? Mm-hmm. Does she want to do that? Is she making the right decision? Is she college, this TV show, movies, whatever? So she can't make up her mind. And like, this is really the beginning of like that chaos for her that really brings us to the end of the that. show. So I'm 33 and I still don't know what I want to do with my life. So we love hey. we love a, a growth journey. We're all on hey. it. Um, just to set up the episode, uh, I guess for anybody that did not rewatch or uh, is not, you know, uh, doesn't have a callback to every single episode of Glee because you are a sane person. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> um, this is Bash where um, so the, the main idea, main thing happening here is that it's uh, at Niata. It's time for their midwinter critiques, uh, of course, led by Carmen Thibodeau, where she's having all of them. Um, the, the assignment that is given out is for them to perform a Sondheim n- uh, number. And uh, specifically, the current students enrolled there are uh, Kurt and Rachel and Blaine. 
Sam is in New York as well, you know, doing the modeling stuff. Mercedes just got here and the two of them are currently living together. We'll get to them in a little bit to see what they're up to. Uh, Artie's there as well in film school, but he's not really <laughs> super involved in this episode. So um, we're going to see as Rachel is, you know, uh, has to do this uh, midwinter critique for uh, school. And then she's also dealing with um, everything going on back with, uh, you know, with Funny Girl is uh, we're getting very close to opening night there. So uh, pressure's on her uh, director at the beginning of the episode is talking about how this is the this is the week we got to make sure that we are locked in ready to go uh you know everybody needs to be on their best on their a game um and when rachel starts to like you know reach out to him saying well um i have this you know i need like two hours off and like a couple days because i have to go do this thing at school he's like rachel like this is ridiculous you are the leading star you are the show like you need to be here um i could give you this one time break and then as we go on through the episode we're going to see why rachel is back and forth up and down um and then also alongside i'm you want to lead in with the uh, I guess I don't know if it's the B plot. I mean, it's the the episode is named after a specific incident that we see at the beginning that also happens to Kurt. Take that one away. Yeah. So um, they established Monday night dinners. Um, it's there that uh, I think it's Sam or who is it? I think it's Sam or Mercedes that sees a picture um, and a flyer in Rachel and Kurt's apartment asking who that was. Apparently, one of their neighbors um, friends got beat up. For being gay and so they held like a visual for him that's how the episode opens with them all singing no one is alone um can't really visual at the place where he got beat up um and that's sort of like how this whole thing sort of that's like the event that we sort of circle around the entire time it's also this monday night dinners where we find out that sam and mercedes are indeed canoodling and they get caught by artie <laughs> as he sees them playing footsies under the table. Um, I love Rachel here because she fucking knows. She's like, okay, y'all, you can try and play this off, but we know what's going on here. Y'all like each other. <laughs> we know. It is what it is. Yes. Um, so, yeah, with the, with the... I mean, maybe we should just start with the Sam and Mercedes of it all because uh, the episode is about bash um it's, it's about the you know what happens this gay bashing um but also like the interesting part to me here is that this is a sondheim tribute episode essentially um and both songs in the mercedes storyline are not sondheim right it's uh you make me feel like a natural <laughs> woman and then she gets to sing her own colorblind um which is you know one of amon and i's favorite glee covers of all time but yeah to get into this uh this story of it all beth you were saying uh you were like <laughs> i guess confused as to when this even happened because as they say in uh the very end of the episode uh when they come out to their friends as being in a in a relationship they're like yeah you know we had undeniable chemistry and everybody else like is that true i mean yeah i guess you had a fling a couple summers <laughs> ago but we didn't really have this on our radar yeah um it's an interesting thing i this is an interesting episode because for someone who has taken a, such a long break from watching glee i kind of forgot how like aloof sam is as a person and a character um <clears throat> and like the amount oh, of yeah, microaggressions got, well, he could he has in, like the dinner with <laughs> with mercedes friends and, like i'm like oh my god i was it was so cringy oh yeah um, but yeah, I, I, overall, like, this is, this is exactly what I think of with Glee, which is like, we're going to put in a real world issue, but kind of like make it a little campy and big in a way. And then mm -hmm. it's going to fall apart and then it's going to come right back together at the very end. Mm -hmm. So like, I felt like it kind of followed 
that kind of progression of what I'm kind of used to. Sometimes that happens over one episode. Sometimes it happens over multiple. But this one seemed like it was happening in one. I could be wrong. Maybe it continues on. I don't know. Uh, but and well, and this is the first time that they really give Mercedes like her real like story. Mm. Mom, what are you laughing at? Now that you're on video, I'm like I'm able to see you, and you're laughing at something. <laughs> <laughs> I should turn my video off. I'm <laughs> You're gonna get, get in trouble, trouble with Matt. Um, <laughs> no, I'm I'm literally watching the dinner scene as we're talking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, they they you know go there to dive into this issue and they're and uh, or just to dive into Mercedes's world for um, really what feels like the first time. You know, they touch on things as they go. Uh, you know, for the first four seasons, but d- definitely not to this depth. And that's why uh, that's one of the things that I take out of season five, this part of the show, because I do appreciate that we finally get a lot more of Mercedes's story. And she does have feelings for Sam. She does obviously really like him. And we see throughout the episode that no matter like you know, I mean, it doesn't even take long. The first scene that they have is them. You know, she comes down the stairs and he's being you know a five-year-old on the couch watching you know tv and eating cereal and she's like but still so endeared towards him and they end up Mm -hmm. making out and you know next thing you know you see that the chemistry is still there um but the the hesitation is when she brings her friends around she introduces i guess you could say sam to them sam makes a horrible first impression and uh, they end up being really real with her saying look um you want to date a white guy. That's not really probably your best idea at the moment, uh, or maybe at all. Um, and you know, they present the reasons to her and she takes in what they say. And, uh, she, you know, responds to it in a way of like, yeah, you know what? I take whatever I I take everything that they're saying and they're probably not wrong. And maybe I do need to consider this. I'm thinking about my career. I'm thinking about the way people are going to see me, uh, think about me, talk about me and all this stuff. And I don't know, maybe like, maybe they, maybe they're onto something. Obviously, as the episode goes on, we again continue to see that their love is just so strong that um, or their, you know, their connection is just so strong that it's not really going to be enough to break them apart. Um, If anything, you know, she uses this as an opportunity to kind of understand herself better and say, I need to put the love first that I have for this guy. And and if that's, you know, what's going to over, if that's what I'm feeling, I need to just follow that and not worry about anything else at the moment. So, um, you know, I am going to continue to stand uh, Sam Sadie's for all of my life uh, as well as blam so i don't know which way i'm going to end up deciding before yeah which one matt which um, one blam yes uh oh, we'll get into it uh, <laughs> oh. oh my god yeah there's so much i feel like we have to have beth back now for like Wait, other is this episodes blaine and sam yes yes beth, it's, so it's this, not what you think it is okay though, so super quick blam never actually happens or anything but it is like probably besides uh quinn and rachel like the number one fan fiction that you ever see from glee fans because there is uh, a whole storyline about how blaine has a huge crush on sam eventually he kind of gets over it um but blam shippers we exist okay so i'm gonna be a hundred percent honest i watched this episode <laughs> and we see like two scenes where mm-hmm. it's just sam and and Blaine mm-hmm. and all I could think of was I hope that Sam is bisexual mm-hmm. oh we we all we hope it and we're you know waiting for the the rewrites or whatever to yeah um it's, it's we out are. There. apparently I'm one episode in at this point and already on the blam train so there you are we yep. love it welcome the board bla- blam propaganda is strong <laughs> in this episode um no yeah I I enjoy this storyline a lot um and I think it's done very well. I think the the like the nuance is very is 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 portrayed very well because it's like yeah, like Mercedes, obviously um, strong in who she is, um, proud black woman, um, and you know 
wants to portray that image to her fans um, and wants other black women to be proud. But of course, there is like a bit of a stigma um, on both ends of the aisle, really, with the whole interracial dating. Like it's it gets rough. Like I know, like, you know, not to expose my mother here, but like she's always been like, Come on, please just date somebody black, please. I'm like, I'm on, like if I if I fall in love with somebody that's not black, what you gonna do, girl? Like, I mean, you gonna have to deal. Like, are you gonna be happy or you not? Um, so like I, I understand that there's so much pressure for some black people to just, you know, stick stick to what you know. And I understand that because it's not just about like it's not like just like a purely racist thing. It's just like, oh, you know, you, you don't have to explain yourself to other black people. You don't have to explain microaggression. You, have to, you don't have to you, you can just be yourself. You mm-hmm. you have a shared struggle, right? You have a shared history together. Um, but you know, that's we're not we're human beings and we don't we don't really operate that way. So you can fall in love with whoever you want to. But then when you add in, like, you know, being a celebrity and wanting to appease large amounts of people, yeah, it's something that you really have to think about. It sucks that you have to think about it, but it is something that she has to think about. And, and I think I just like the, the, way, the way that they put this entire storyline in there. And Sam <laughs> embarrassed the hell out of himself at that party, which was good for him because I feel like, you know, he's the Kentucky Fried Stripper, okay? Like, he didn't really <laughs> – There's not there aren't a lot of black people in his life besides – Mercedes and you can't even say Matt Rutherford because he was gone by season one. Yep. So like, who else is there? Like, I guess there was unique at a certain point, but that's pretty much it. So I think that he like had a nice little moment where he was like, okay, maybe I need to I need to work on you know diversifying my relationships because that was horrible. Yeah, like so. Mercedes says, like there's a whole lot that you know you and white people in general never have to think about. So the fact that uh, this is like a wake up call to him uh, for this person that he really is into, uh, you know, it is definitely something necessary if they're going to continue. Um, but Beth, I, I just can't get over like the embarrassment um, of a that dinner and then also like the chaotic energy of when they're at the uh, the pier uh, earlier on and they're throwing like twenty dollars and pennies into the water. Mercedes throws her whole coat into the water. Uh, they're just do. There's a lot going <laughs> on in like- this episode. They're I go there all the does. time where really? they film that. Yeah, Jane's Carousel. It's on. <clears throat> it's it's in Brooklyn. It's right uh, in between the Brooklyn and the Manhattan bridges, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a really cool place to go. The Time Out Market's there, whatever. So I've gone there like at least five, six times. I go to, walk down there for a walk. Is her just, coat like, still in the water? Yeah, it's it's. I was I've been wondering what that was, <laughs> and now after watching this episode, I just figured it was something gross growing out of the Hudson, yeah. but he, or you know the East River. I'm sorry. At this point, um, yeah, that's the best part is that when she drops it down, I'm like, I know that right there is still a beach, so you know that there's just a member who was there to catch the coat, and that's what makes it so great for me. Um, yeah, what a weird. Why, why are we throwing money in the East River? I mean, at least like somebody yelled at him about it and be like, uh, dude, you shouldn't be doing that. And he just takes the rest of it and chucks it like on the ground. It's like, OK, I was like, <laughs> you know, you know who would use that? One of the thousands of homeless people who's in the street. <laughs> like, why don't you just like go like, you know, or like a busker or something like that? Just like, why are we just guy. throwing money? New York City. Are you kidding me? You're sleeping on a couch. You need that money. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Sam. Yeah, that was. That was wild. <laughs> yeah, and Mercedes. I love, the, I love the lady. Like, hey, I know you can't just throw things into the woman, the river. The woman. I like that <laughs> you know that there had to be a writer who was like, you know what, we're gonna have to have a voice of reason in this scene. What if we had some rando who says, "Hey, stop." <laughs> That's now I'm thinking she about like the, the audition process too, for, her. for that. Yeah, like <laughs> how do they get her specifically? How many people read for that line? 
I wonder what the what like the time that I admit that I read for that line and oh I did goodness. not get the role. I'm sad. <laughs> I'm sorry. They said it wasn't forced. I wonder what enough. it's like what it was credited as. Like I, I guess I gotta check the credits. Like it's like is it like woman look, up like, here. disgruntled woman yeah. like Karen? <laughs> and, like, yeah, that wasn't a thing yet. Good citizen. <laughs> and I also, I mean, I know, I feel like I talked about this the first time we went through this episode, but also the way that like Sam then takes off his jacket, puts it on Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes is going to kick him out, be like, get the fuck out of here. I need to go think and sing on a carousel. Um, and in the meantime, she like takes the jacket off of her that he just, just put on her. It. And yeah, she just like drops it on the ground. She goes, she sings, she does her thing. And then she goes and picks it back up at the end, which you can briefly see before she, before the scene closes out. But like, she just does not want a jacket on right now and she's fine with it. Um, but I mean, uh, uh, Beth, what'd you think of uh, her? You make me feel like a natural woman performance. I thought it was really good. I really liked it. Um, I, I did a hundred percent spend so much of that time thinking in my head, wow, imagine when they had to block off this whole place and word for them to film mm-hmm. here. Like, yeah. cause mm. this is a pretty big, I don't even think it's that big of a tourist spot. I'm sure it is, but like most people who go there are like people who are in the city who want to go see it or who want to be there. Right. And so all mm-hmm. I could think of, I had, is just a whole bunch of New Yorkers going, are you kidding me? Another thing that's blocked off over here. My God. You know, yeah. Like they gotta be used to it at this point. Like <laughs> everything is filmed in New York, every damn show. Like it's crazy. A lot of them. So good. But yeah. I thought it was really good. I, I really, I mean, I, I, you know, this is my first time talking about Glee in a podcast, but I, I have often said the Mercedes erasure is, is way too, it's a crime. I mm-hmm. love Mercedes as a character. I think that most times she's more talented than um, Rachel Berry. I've never understood why Sleep she why she was ever put in the back. Like I remember, literally, I was a senior in, in college and I was supposed to be studying for finals, and I instead wrote a paper to myself for myself. I was supposed to be doing another <laughs> final on why Mercedes was so much better than Rachel, why she deserved like more leading stuff. And I, I read it as my friend. <laughs> I I don't have it anymore. I wish I did. I just remember I wrote it, and like my friends were literally like, "I think you." need to actually do your school work. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I got it. I got it. That, oh, that reminds me. I feel like, uh, I don't know that we asked Tyler this when we had uh, talked to him last week, but uh, anytime that we talk to somebody new, we always like to ask them like, who has their stand card? Like who's their number one Glee character? Oh, is it Mercedes? Yeah, or is it, uh, is it someone else? Does anyone else come to mind? I mean, our, I, our answers are both documented. I, I think for me, it has to be Mercedes. I, I also really like Kurt. But I think Mercedes for me was always like my favorite character. Um, I grew to like Santana a lot too. Um, but Mercedes was, I, I always was singing her praises. I loved um, when, I think it's like what, episode three or two of the first season where she says, sings Buster Windows. Yes. And the way mm. that was overplayed on my iPod was <laughs> not even like it should have been a crime. I was I bust my window. like you better work girl yes. with that. It was so good. Um but no I really I think I like her the most. I love her voice. I love Amber Riley. I think that she's so talented. I thought about that well, performance no. today. Amber Riley what bust your windows? Yeah I was watching a different show and somebody threw a rock through a car window. shout out to jasmine sullivan she better win every fucking grammy that she's nominated for this year she is a philly queen and she needs her just dues because she has delivered plenty more after bust your window so Mm -hmm. i'll be tuning in on january 31st cbs and if y'all play my girl i'm coming for y'all anyway um i've lost all faith in the grammys i know it's 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 a love-hate relationship mostly hate um i (laughs) really 
I agree. I think that Mercedes, we all agree, she's understated. And Amber Riley agrees as well because she has recently <laughs> mm-hmm. taken to on to social media being like, look, we were neglected. We didn't give. This is like a big reason why I love this era of Glee, like these six episodes, because it is very Mercedes centric. We get so mm-hmm. much from her and we get to really. A lot of it has to do with Sam, but still, like there's there's so much more character. There's more character development for Mercedes in these six episodes than in all of season three. Well, mm-hmm. not one. Season two is pretty good for Mercedes. I would say all of season one and two. There's so much more in just yeah, these. Episodes. I, would, I would count season three in there. We just came off the back of Saturday Night Gleaver watching like we're on episode sixteen and we still haven't checked in on Mercedes's future yet. So I would count season three in there as well. This is definitely like the most that you get uh, from Mercedes, and then going into season six as well. And I always like to bring it back. There's a reason I gave her, uh, you know, a gold star or gold. St- Gold star? Yeah, gold star. I was going to say shoe star. That's that's this. Um, in the <laughs> final episode of uh, the show ever, because, you know, when she makes her exit to say goodbye to everybody and she's going off on her big tour and, you know, leaving everybody behind, you just kind of see that, like, she is the one person that everybody was able to appreciate and uh, as a friend and as as somebody to you know look up to and admire and uh you know she was just a, such a constant with within like everybody in the glee club even the younger kids the way that she came in mm-hmm. and mentored them like six times in season four um everybody just you know always appreciated her and you know as if they didn't you know do her justice on the show which they didn't um at least you know people have remembered her uh as iconic as she is so you know we do stand Mercedes. Um, mm-hmm. And then she also, you know, to talk about her other performance in this episode, of course, has Colorblind here, which, again, uh, Amon and I both love a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, so a lot. So good. It's just Dream Colorblind for a good relationship in 2022. How about that? <sighs> We're going to manifest. We're manifesting. It's just so good. I mean, she has Sam come by the studio and she's, uh, you know, this is after they'd been through the ups and downs throughout the uh, whole episode. And uh, they're about to go back to one of the ups uh, here where she's saying, look, I, um, I don't want everything that we've been talking about to kind of prevent us from being together. Um, And, you know, she sings to him. And when they go back to their friends later, they do, uh, you know, tell them that they are together so of course they do end the episode in a positive way and i don't know if beth you don't know do you want to know how uh how it all ends for them in season five are you gonna keep watching yeah no you, you, listen i when it comes to shows like this where i've seen some of it but i haven't still in 2021 almost 2022 gone back and watched everything i'm totally fine with spoilers <laughs> um and that kind of thing so yeah i I'm, I'm interested to see how this all works out do they stay together for a couple more episodes and then at the end of season five everybody kind of goes on their own ways uh everybody in this new york crew because they're gonna kind of reset uh, an- another reset into season six uh when season six comes around they do end up back together in a way not not like together together but they do kind of like reconnect and say like should we explore this but uh, sam actually ends up going towards rachel in season six and uh the sam sadie's really does kind of take a, a, a permanent pause until yeah uh, he's but but the the series finale who the hell does, does still Rachel have Rachel not date in this show. Like, well, no, the question like, is who does well, Sam no, not date? It's Sam, <laughs> Sam is the one with his paws everywhere. He's been with everybody. He was with Brittany in season four. Obviously, she's he's been with uh, he was with Santana season two. Um, now Rachel season six, Mercedes, Tina season four, Mercedes season uh, five, and Quinn it, season two. It's crazy. Penny, he's a whore. Nurse Penny in season five, where uh, he had a whole revelation this episode, mm-hmm. being like she was thirty. Um, he's been with been with uh, anybody you can That's think of, and Blaine. We just uh, we don't talk Wait, about was him she thirty? She wasn't thirty, was she? Are you imitating Sam, or are you just saying that? No, I'm, I'm literally saying that she wasn't thirty. Was she? They she talked was about like... it in this episode. 
thought she was like 19. Well, she I don't know if she, she actually, well, no, no, no. So the, I don't know if she actually was, but it was like the joke that like, uh, you dated that 30 year old nurse or whatever it was. And he's like, yeah, well, I guess that makes sense why she was so clingy. <laughs> I'm getting sad nurse as Penny. a 30 year old. Was she actually 30 masquerading as a 19 year old? <laughs> Look, <laughs> we didn't do the nurse Penny character study. So if we ever decide to go back to that, we'll get to the bottom of it. Um, <laughs> but let's like a juicy episode. I will be tuning into. <laughs> let's sure. bring it back around um, and check in with the, with uh, Rachel, Kurt and Blaine uh, from the top of this episode, which as you said, Amon, they start with the no one is alone cover. So this is the first, uh, you know, Sondheim cover that they do uh, here. It, this is from into the woods. Um, anybody like super familiar with into the woods? Amon, you said you saw the movie, Beth, are you like, mm-hmm. I was supposed yeah. to play the baker's wife and then they canceled the production. I was sad. It was going to be my oh, first like, I loved to as an that. adult. So I love what is that song by her that I love? Um, uh, I think Moments in the Woods. I think is Moments one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so With fucking the good. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. This so this one comes at the uh, very end of Into the Woods. Uh, this is mm-hmm. you know all basically all the survivors of everything yeah, that happened of in the, the woods. Of, yeah, uh, the, yeah. You know all the orphan kids. And, yeah, the know. orphan kids. The now. And Cinderella. Is it, and, can a man be a widow? Oh no, a woman. What is a man when he's lost his wife? Nothing. He's a widow. He's a widow. Okay. Yep. Not Anybody nothing. Who's a spouse is a widow. I don't know. I just I've you only ever see like women as widows for some reason. So I was like, is there well, is I, it just gender? Is it genderless or is it a gender term? I don't it know. It is genderless, but we it is so often portrayed as like they will say he's widowed and use it as like almost like a verb. Yeah. Like yeah. Versus saying he's a widow, but they'll right. say that women are widows. Yeah. Right. It's weird. Yeah. No, I definitely get that. Yeah, so um, they they do uh, no yeah. one is alone at the beginning, and we find out that it's because uh, you know this boy was um, was was beat up recently, and I you know still every time that I watch the beginning of this episode, they make it look like the boy passed away, like with with everything with the candles here and with this picture, and you're like, oh my god, like obviously we don't know who this is from yeah. looking at this picture, but they do make it look like he did not survive the attack and uh, luckily they don't take too long to tell us that that's not the case. But um, like this boy in particular, this incident like has nothing to actually do with what's going on here. It just kind of brings us to, I guess the awareness that like this is going to play into the episode, obviously then when Kurt goes on and gets, you know what happens. Yeah. I have a problem with that narrative, but they should have just killed him because for one, he's a character that we're not really, (laughs) he's a character that we're not really, you know, interested and he's just you know some random person um so we wouldn't have like you know felt some sort of like, huge loss obviously it would have been horrible to, that it would have happened but people don't typically have candle light vigils for survivors because right. what's the vigil for <laughs> like he's he's here he's in the hospital he's okay um so i i just from a storytelling perspective i wish they would have just because then not only does it make more sense but it also just like is real to what actually happens to some gay people like yeah. they get killed so mm-hmm. yeah but i think it's a great performance nonetheless it's one of my favorite songs from into the woods it, i love the song as well and it's one of those <laughs> so coming in again having not seen season five and watching this i was like 
who died. I was like, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you you think that yeah, somebody like, yeah, like in the context of a musical, they're dead. Like it's... everyone's dead and no one is alone. So I literally, <laughs> when this shows up, I'm like, oh god, am I supposed to know who this is? Like, who is it? How come this wasn't in the recap that they just showed? Like, <laughs> they just spent all this time like mm-hmm. building up Sam and Mercedes, and there's like a full-on dead person. What's right. going on? And then I, you know, obviously, like you said, Matt, they like qu- quickly clear up in like the scene afterwards at the Monday night dinner that no, actually, this was uh, more so. Uh, this was kind of like a standing together in solidarity yeah. kind of vigil with him. Um, but he has not passed, uh, and it's just. And I, I agree with you, Amon. I think that if you're going to go that route, you need to. I'm sorry to say this, but you need to kill that character because. I think what would more often happen is a protest, in which case No One Is Alone isn't the right, like, song for a protest kind of moment. No, it's... So, (laughs) I feel like if you're going to go in that direction, it's better, like, it's better off to have unfortunately killed that character. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree. (laughs) It sounds a little, you know, intense to be saying that, um, but I think you're both probably right there of just to, you know, to really understand the magnitude of what happened or to really understand the magnitude of what could happen, what does happen in real life. They definitely, you know, maybe could have made that choice. Um, And then that probably would have also left you with even more intense reaction when it happens to Kurt and he's laying there in the middle of the alleyway like, oh my God, God. did they just just kill him? Um, Obviously they did not kill Chris Colfer would have probably thrown a fit if they killed off Kurt. Like Kurt was a no fan favorite. No like chance. that too, where like what a weird, like believe me, Kurt has had his moments, right? Where, you know, he's been bullied and he's felt abandoned and he's like, he's had plenty of moments, but imagine just like in the middle of one episode, <laughs> they just did that to like, no. didn't actually build it up. Like, you know, that if Glee ever killed off Kurt, it would be building up all episode and it would be like a final like 90 percent of the way through the episode and then like people's reactions and then cliffhanger like that's the kind of thing they would do i kind of mm-hmm. you know that we're talking about it like sorry if this is a really weird shift in conversation but you kind of wonder had they not you know tragically lost an actor on the show in mm-hmm. real life like you kind of wonder would they have ever gone down the route of killing a character um, I mean, that, that many shows uh, kill off characters, even things that are like, you know, supposed to be kid friendly. Like, look at other high school shows. Degrassi killed off like two or three. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I kind of wonder if they had gotten to this point in the series and, of course, not tragically lost Corey if they might have done that. But we really don't need to go down too far into that. It's just I don't curious. know. I mean, no, it's a, it's a good question, though, because, you know, Shooting Star, the episode did happen before his passing. So it looked like they were toying around with the idea of maybe doing it. If Especially you don't know, who they were going to kill there. I mean. Right, Shooting Star was an episode where it was a it was a supposed school shooting. Beth. Oh, I right. remember that. It wasn't it. Becky brought a gun to school. Yeah. I yeah. watched. Yep. I watched that episode because I remember it made like such big headlines for right. not preparing audiences enough that there yes. could be like visions of school shootings. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I feel like they probably would not have because I feel like if you were going to do it, it would have been that episode. You know. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the same exact thing I'm on with my limited knowledge. I sat back and I was like, I feel like if they were going to kill anything, anybody, it would have been during like a school shooting episode or something like that. Right? Like you can't like you can't like bait and switch after that. Like you can't like have them all survive <laughs> and then like one season later it's like never mind, kill them. Like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I I don't think Glee's the type of show that went. They went for shock value in a different way, but not by using 
death, death. but by <laughs> using the struggle of being alive, if that makes sense. Like being alive. <laughs> being alive. Yeah. <laughs> God, that would have been amazing. So um yeah. So yeah, so we have uh you know that's that's the uh, opening song there and then I think we kind of already talked through uh you know setting up how the story opens up for Rachel and and the Neata kids here where um they have this assignment to do Sondheim numbers and to cut ahead we're going to see Rachel and Blaine uh give their performance here of Broadway Baby and Rachel is you know thinking that this is going to be all great she took off uh you know 2 hours from her show and Sydney the director was not very happy about it um but she's out here she's giving this performance and you know they sound great together they're putting on a great show the audience uh, the everybody in the room is loving it except for the one person that they should be impressing because she's looking at them like uh fully aware this is not the assignment she assigned uh carmen thibodeau was you know this was supposed to be a solo project and for some reason rachel as she says like what do you think that you're above everybody else like do you think that you're just you know above the authority of of all that governs this room and and this school like what makes you think that you're so special um and rachel just kind of freezes there and it sets off this whole chain reaction Amon, that it's just gonna lead her down this whole road of deciding that she doesn't even want to be at niata anymore and this still makes no damn sense to me. Like, I get that narratively speaking, they had to have a reason for her to fuck up. But, Rachel, you were you, you claim that you were pressed for time and that you were so busy between this and Funny Girl Edition. So why would you choose to do a duet? That's more rehearsal because you're including an entire other person in your performance. Like, it just doesn't make much sense to me. Like, just do a fucking solo. Like... But whatever. Yeah, like, she thinks she's above the rules is the main point. And Whoopi Goldberg ain't with it. Like, <laughs> that's not what I asked. You do I, not understand the assignment. <laughs> um, go back to the drawing board. I love just, first of all, I love Whoopi Goldberg in general. But I love this character of being, I, I love the professors that put students in their place with entitlement, which I'm sure happens much more in like a conservatory setting. Um, I had a professor who knew when I was resting on my laurels, like while writing a paper, it was actually the same one who taught the musical theater class. And so she started coming up with rubrics for me in particular. Like, Mm. and so she started doing that. And one of them was when you give a presentation, if you say, um, anytime I'm deducting, I'm deducting, uh, 0.25 off of your grade. So every time I said, um, I'd get a deduction and it was because I never practiced. I just kind of went up there and did it because I have somewhat of a skill set of being able to stand up and go, all right, I'm going to talk and be, I don't know, I'll be good with it or whatever. And she was like, no, you need to learn something. You need to stop doing this. And just because you have this ability doesn't mean you can't work harder to perfect something. And so I love that that's what her character is doing. I don't think that this professor is in the wrong at all. I think a lot of people might have been watching it maybe and thought like, wow, they're really strict, blah, blah, blah. But like, well, you know, if this is a really great uh, music academy and such, wouldn't you think that? It wasn't a group project. No, I think it's, it it's a, a solo project. project. Like, I think it's very clear you were not supposed to be on Rachel's side here. I mean, Carmen Thibodeau has been, you know, set up throughout three seasons now as somebody that is respected uh, and, you know, authoritative. Is and that word? she begged with, with reason. Rachel stalked her she 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 drove across state lines to get her to admit her to this school and you can't even like 
do what you need to do once you're in. Right, like, like, do the assignment yeah. correctly. Like, why did you bother taking off those two hours from the, you know, final weeks of your show's production if you're going to do the assignment wrong? It's like the one thing you can do when turning in an assignment is make sure you've read the instructions and that you know what you're doing. It wasn't just, you know, do the Sondheim number. It was do it by yourself. It wasn't it was not a duet. It was nothing that said. Uh, and if you have a question about it, then, you know, call her up. You know where to find her. You, you, you've gone across state lines to find her uh, before. You can easily figure out if this is a good idea or not. And uh, again, it's a great performance uh, when they do Broadway Baby there, but it's not what Whoopi was looking for. Uh, Carmen, But sorry. also, let's put some blame on Blaine as well. Like, Blaine's the other half of that duo. What, he should have also known. I know. Like, and like, you're like, younger. You like this. are new to this school. You should definitely have been paying more attention, uh, sir, for uh, making sure you're doing this right. But I don't know. So, and I'm going to put this out there as somebody who now has a syllabus for the class that I teach here in New York City for my students. Like, if you aren't reading every word of that rubric, that's on you as a student putting it out there. Yeah, if you're like, oh, I didn't know I had reason. to do that. Actually, you did. I gave you a syllabus. Sorry that I didn't tell you and hold your hand on this, but I told you what you needed to do. Sorry and about it. That. Did you have a uh, did you did you call your first week of your quarter or your semester in college silly week? Silly week or silly it did week? not. No. <laughs> silly week is like when whenever the professors hand out the syllabus. Because it's like nothing. I feel like that's like such a like, freshman, like a couple years ago thing. Yeah, it's mostly freshmen. Um, but yeah, it's just like it's a week where you're like you're you feel comfortable with just screwing around because you're like whatever. It's, we don't have any assignments, so it's it's silly week. And you just hearing you use the word syllabus just brought that back to me. I haven't thought about that in a long time. Well, Rachel, now, Rachel, would you spell silly week S-Y-L-L-Y as right, in like syllabus yep. and like silly? Okay, mm-hmm, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. I'm here for that. I'm going to start saying <laughs> that to my students. They don't really interact too much with me once they're here. They interact with me via Zoom before they get here, though. So. <laughs> 2021 um we rachel is uh way past syllabus week though here she's uh in yeah. midwinter yeah and, she, this uh, is not silly week this is <laughs> very much should be uh you know keeping her head on straight so do she, your shit week she storms over to carmen's office to try to you know make a uh, a pitch here to say that you know she is like I, I can't do it again uh i you know have my opening night coming up uh there's no time for me to do anything like this and uh, they get into it a bit and you can see like like beth was saying like carmen thibodeau doesn't want her to not succeed. She's like, I let you into this school for a reason. I know you're talented. I know you have drive. I know that you're good. And you know that you're good. You know all of what I'm saying, but you're missing one thing. Uh, and that's what she say. Like, that's uh, the discipline or something like that. Like, you're missing. Discipline taking direction. Yeah. Like, you, mm-hmm. you have a lot of the qualities that are required to be who you want to be. But there's a lot. Like, you have to be a team player. You have to give a little bit to get as well and you don't seem like somebody that's willing to do it and you're acting like a child and it's just not it's not going to do you any good so eventually you know rachel has made her stand she's deciding that she's going to bounce out of here and carmen's like i would be very careful before you make this decision and walk out of here and rachel's like nope i've decided i'm out of here and carmen is like wow like people don't say that to carmen thibodeau uh either very often or ever at all uh so rachel berry you know turning the jets on here it's really just and I'm I'm upset that this is the last time that we see um, Carmen Thibodeau on screen because we do get to, to she's still That's a character fine. in season six, um, but I really wanted a scene where she goes back and begs and begs and begs to get let back into Niada because this scene right here is like an ultimate like if I were Madame Thibodeau, done. As it is written, it shall be done. We're done, bitch. Like it's it is what it is. So 
But yeah, then Rachel's so, really on one. So Beth, this uh, what, what's coming up next here is the scene where we're going to get Rachel and Kurt's argument uh, about yeah. Rachel's new decision, which you were talking about earlier that uh, you cannot understand why Kurt was so uh, against Rachel's decision. So uh, there's a few things in this, right? I don't understand how Niata and you know Carmen at the very least wouldn't be able to say like it's almost opening night for this for a Broadway show. We can be a little more lenient. <laughs> okay? But I also understand from like a production director side of like if I I'm not expecting that a professional theater like production is going to allow the lead actor to not be there for more than a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, there's a few things in here that I find a little hard to believe. Um, especially if Niata is supposedly the school that is like, Hey, um, we're really good about balancing. Shouldn't this be like a point of pride for the, for this like institution? Oh yeah. One of our first years is a lead on Broadway. <laughs> like that should be, I'm, I'm also thinking from like a higher education perspective, I guess, like, cause I'm so invested in that world, but I just think that this is kind of unrealistic to a certain extent. And then you get to this like friendship level of like Kurt and her have always been friends and they've had very similar dreams and, and but mm -hmm. different mindsets of how to get there from what I remember and understand. And it's interesting to me that the conversation is in along the lines of, Hey, just want you to know, like this was unfortunate because I think, I don't know if you're ever going to be able to come back to Niata, even if this, even if you're very successful and you want to come back, I don't know if I'll ever let you back, but college is still a choice. Like, it's not like that's the only place that Rachel would be able to return back to. So I, I kind of felt like Kurt wasn't being super supportive here. And I'm not normally somebody who completely roots for Rachel in this situation, but there, and I do think that she's a lot at fault from what I understand of all the other things that she wasn't doing. But mm -hmm. I do think that there's a level of like, it's not like she's dropping out because she's in auditions and she might get a role. Like, no, she's literally going to be the lead on a Broadway show where there's going to be eight shows a week where she's going to have to be careful with her voice and her body and what she's devoting with her time. And that just doesn't make sense to me that a really good friend of hers who has similar goals wouldn't be like supportive in that moment. Might, yeah, maybe that's a, more that's of a great little, point. I don't even know if we discussed it from chat, that perspective the first time. But... Yeah, 100%. That's um, I feel like my my instinct in this scene is to take Kurt's side because Rachel is mm. just in general so usually unreasonable. Um, and the way that like yeah. I think and that's part of the, yeah, I feel like that's part of the problem with her and uh, and Carmen earlier that it's just like Carmen might want to be on her side and offer her you know she, she is offering her like the chance to do it again and the lenience to like you know not just fail her on the spot when she literally did the assignment wrong uh, you know yeah. you can't dis you know you can't. I forget that, but it's just the way that like Rachel's approaches and the way that she, you know, talks to these people in such a condescending way and just being like, you know, there, there's not really like, she's not, it doesn't seem like she's coming to Kurt being like, as you are my friend, I need your help. She's just like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's the Rachel Berry approach to, to well, a lot Kurt of different brings it up to her fights that she gets into before she even says anything. He's, he's like, I can't believe you did that or whatever. He brings it up to her and she's like, Oh, you already heard. And he said, it's Niata, blah, blah, blah. And he kind of goes right after her. Yeah, that's fair. It. And that, I think that that's why for me, I'm like, if I recur, I would, I'd be like, listen, I don't personally think this was a right decision. Um, I think here's the reasons why I think this could have been more beneficial if you just tried to do certain things here. But 
it's your life you're in. You have an amazing thing coming up and I'm going to support you. Like, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that's like what most good friends would do. But that said, right. like you said, Rachel is one of the most entitled characters. And what I love here is that you have people in her life who are trying to tell her to take direction and to listen to other people because she's not the center of the universe. Um, and you saw that from, that was the main point of contention with like her, and Mr. Schuster, um, with her and the rest of the glee club, like everybody leading up to this moment in her life is trying to get there. And it is not uncommon for people to have a, a trait like that in high school, only to have it exacerbated when you get to college. Um, I used to work in college admissions and that was the first time many kids in their life have been told no when we denied somebody and the amount of phone calls I would get from parents and students of life would be like how can you do that I'm in national honor society I'm like yeah you and every other kid who applied to the school sorry about it right like, you know what I mean like the things that make you special at your school that's fantastic you are a special human but you might not be right for every place out in the world and this might not be the right path for her so therefore people should respect that or if it is the right path for her she needs to be open to criticism so i think that both parties can be right for sure um mm -hmm. and that's what makes this so this you know what's coming up so unfortunate because uh they didn't have to end their argument the way that they did i mean it's an argument but they yeah. didn't they didn't have to storm off the way that rachel does and both be feeling this way because like you said both of them uh could have given a little bit more here to uh kind of find common ground and be supportive of uh of each other and you know rachel yeah. didn't have to say what she said of uh, making a dig at kurt uh when at the end of the day like you I, I would say that i generally argue that like he is trying to look out for her but the way that mm -hmm. he comes at her also you know there, there's some fault there he of course Great. ends up uh you know uh, she leaves he ends up walking home on his own he looks down this alley alleyway he sees uh some guy getting beaten up and he he goes to run and save the day he you know very quickly realized this is a gay man that's getting beat up and um it's just exactly the same situation of what happened to the guy earlier that is now in the hospital and all that stuff for the, that uh has the vigil set up so kurt goes down he ends up getting attacked and of course uh that is going to lead us to having him go to the hospital all of his friends do show up you know blaine of course as well all of them are there to uh kind of because he, he hasn't woken up just yet he's still got cuts and bruises all over uh he does not look great uh you know he's alive so that's certainly uh, a plus for him after all is said and done here but um like i said they all show up at the hospital and amon blaine's going to give us the cover of uh, not while i'm around and uh mm -hmm. it's you know are they still dating at this point mm -hmm. okay yep they're in full swing still a lot of fighting um, back and forth in this part of the show but they are yeah. together yeah they, it's their relationship is tested in more ways than once um episode. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah, no, I, I don't necessarily know if I would have had the same courage and bravado that Kurt has here. Like, I certainly would have tried to get the authorities involved. Um, but I don't know if I would have put my body on the line to help someone else in the way that he did. So, yeah, this is, um, this is kind of, kind of rough to watch because it happens from time to time. It happens in this country. It happens way worse in other parts of the world. Like, it's just... It's a real thing, and so I'm glad that there was like this. I mean, I feel like ever since, ever since uh, Blaine gave Kurt that freaking courage sign in season two, courage. he's just been on a he's just been on a tear. So obviously, it has not stopped here. Um, much to the dismay of his dad, Bert, who yeah, was going to show up, up and at the hospital later on, not happy. And I totally, I totally get it. He's like. I'm not saying that you needed to back down. I'm not saying that what you did was wrong. 
but you could have gone about it in a way that didn't make me have to fly over from Ohio thinking that you were going to get killed. Like, and he was just like so upset. He's like, I cannot believe that this would happen in New York City. Like, this is this city is gay, 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 gay. Like, how did this happen here? Yeah. And yeah, I think already, this yeah. is interesting contextually within. So this aired in 2014. Um, so we're still in the, in the, like, I would say like the band of what, five years or so when a lot of states started passing same sex marriage and then it became a federally, um, recognized as well. Um, and we did see quite a few increases in like reported hate crimes happening within the LGBTQ community in that time frame. I remember having, you know, I just graduated from college and saw a whole like everywhere I went in the world, I was like, what is happening here? Like every, every time I read something in the United States, it was, it was incredible. So I know that this maybe seems a little, even it's not even that it's dated cause it still happens, but it's just like, this was a little bit more prominent. There was a little bit more like frustration for people who quote unquote, don't believe in gay marriage, um, uh, in our, our homophobic. So it's interesting to, watch this with a 2021 lens and seeing and also post Trump era. Well, I, I argue we're still somewhat in it. Um, and yeah. it's just, it's a really interesting topic to think about with this show. Um, I, I don't know if I would have stepped in, like you said, I would have done something about, I wouldn't have just been like, Oh, I'm sorry that you're getting beat up and just like continued on my way. I wouldn't have done that. But um, I also, I, it, this is supposed to be the same people who beat up the other guy, right? Cause they get up into a pickup truck and they go away. Is that, or is that just supposed to be coincidence? I don't know. I don't know if that was a, I mean, if there's a connection between those two, I definitely have not picked up on it after watching this episode four times. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> all they said was Kurt said something in the, in the dinner scene that, oh yeah, there was two guys, um, who were in a pickup truck and then they like drove away after they beat him up. And that's exactly what happened with Kurt. They all got into the oh, truck and I didn't drove think away. About that. So I thought it was the same people, but maybe I could be wrong. No, I mean, you <laughs> might be right. And just uh, picked up on something that we never uh, have picked up on through, you know, a couple times watching. Let's and... go with that story. I'm yeah. Just, like, I mean, really observant. Let's go so... with these two assholes. Uh, <laughs> the two nameless yeah. assholes in New York here, Amon, are just uh, going the around. village of all places. Or no, the lower, was it the lower East side or the, I can't remember what you said, the East village. I don't know where they were. Either way, it's gay wherever they're at. Like, like <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when Bert shows up and Bert's like trying to, uh, you know, to talk to Kurt about like why would you do this and all this stuff, and then Kurt hits him right back with like, uh, well, because I'm your son, I'm exactly how you raised me, and we are the same person, just uh, you know, a couple, a couple small differences along the way. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, it does end, you know, kind of nice here where. Bert is like, you know, he makes a comment to him saying like, all right, well, next time let's just do it together. Uh, you know, if this is going to have to, if this is going to have to be the way that we go about it, obviously hoping that that's not the case, but whatever, just showing his son that he does want to be there for him. Um, and then when Kurt is out of the hospital, they stop by the memorial one more time. We find out that the guy is okay. He woke up um, and all is well with uh, that guy from the picture, from the memorial from earlier. Um, and eventually we're going to uh, bring them. Or everybody's going to go back to the loft. Um, everybody is uh, gathering for another dinner, uh, a Mon- another Monday night dinner. Um, but before everybody gets over there, Rachel and Kurt do make up from their <laughs> argument. Um, you know, just as you would expect every time that these two get into a fight all as well, because uh, they are, you know, two really good friends and 
uh, they had a disagreement and, you know, it's really not going to be enough to break them apart. Like Kurt says, he's like, we've had worse arguments. So uh, the rest of the friends all gather, they talk, they discuss how Kurt's performance is coming up. Uh, and Rachel's like, I don't even go there anymore, but I will be there to support him. Mercedes says, you know, me too. I wouldn't miss it for the world. And they all go watch as Kurt does his performance of I'm still here. So, you know, we have these uh, back-to-back Sondheim numbers with um, no, uh, not while I'm around and then I'm still here uh, kind of closing out. Well, colorblind was in the middle, but, you know, um, just kind of bringing it all back around there. And yeah, just, uh, I don't know. Any thoughts on this one, Beth? I thought I really liked this performance. Um, I don't know Follies. I haven't seen Follies. I know the general like theme of it, um, like plot of it. Um, it's definitely a jazzier musical. And so that's why I thought it was interesting. They chose two songs from Follies to be the songs that, you know, uh, Kurt Blaine and Rachel are performing um, for what, what was this called? Their winter uh, midwinter critique, midwinter critique. Yes. So I thought it was interesting that they both chose folly songs, but it just has a, a different meaning for I'm still here. Um, and I, with all the cuts and the bruises on his face while he's singing it, even though that's not, I don't think that's what the song is about. Um, I don't think so either. I I mean, I'm not the expert here, but um, I was kind of like looking a little bit into all of these performances to see like reviews from people who knew what they were talking about more than I do uh, as Mm -hmm. far as, you know, whatever goes. So um, the guy that I read his review was basically saying that like, yeah, this really didn't make a whole lot of sense. It was kind of like, um, it's like, this isn't the context of what's going on, I guess, in the play or in the musical or whatever. But um, obviously, you know, you could still kind of enjoy Chris Colfer's performance and uh, take the very literal meaning of uh, he just you know went through something traumatic and he is still here so if you just go with that yeah. then sure that's what it is but you know he just does being alive again no could have <laughs> no i i thought it was good but i i'm pretty sure i'm still here is referring to like one of the performers and follies like looking back on being a performer and then saying like i'm still here like mm. that's like that little, kind of thing so that's why yeah. i'm sure that it's a little different but i think that the nice thing about so many of these lyrics and song titles and that kind of thing is that you really can make them your own. Um, so I don't mm-hmm. know. I just, I thought that, that I liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah. Uh, I'm on any final thoughts on you from this performance or anything here. Yeah, no, I, I, I ultimately, I, I enjoy what Kurt did here. And I like the fact that he, not only did he stand up to those people in the alleyway, but he also stood up to his dad. Like was like, look, you raised me to be this way, and maybe maybe it could have gotten me really hurt, but I don't think that I could have lived with myself if I did not step in. And, I mean, you know, considering his history, he's been through enough at this point to know, like, most people are just fucking cowards. And he was mm-hmm. right, because they were cowards. They beat his ass, and then they fucking left him for dead. Like, cowards. So, um, yeah, I, I think that this is great. I love his performance at the end of it. Um, and I love that it was a, a bit of a sobering experience for everyone in New York because I think it really brought them all together in the sense that, yeah, like, we're all out here trying to make it, but, like, the world is kind of still a dangerous place. Also, life isn't all peachy keen all the time. Like, we're going to have struggles. So I think it really sort of grounded everybody. Like, here, Sam and Mercedes are, like, talking about, you know, their love life and, like, how is this going to work? And then their friend gets beat up. And it's like, okay, so what, like, what is their perspective here? Same with Rachel. She's out here trying to go to Broadway and screw school, and then her friend gets beat up. So it's like, okay, so what's really what's really at stake here? So I think it really, it was a nice moment for everybody, except for Kurt, obviously. But <laughs> yeah, it was a good 
<laughs> I think it was a nice learning moment for everyone. Yes. <laughs> um. So yeah, I guess that's that's the episode here. Of course, we still have a couple of things to get to uh, to close out things here. Um, this is an episode that was you know dedicated to the work of Stephen Sondheim. And um, when we get into this category of worst song of the episode that we do on our second rewatches here, um, I feel like that's a weird category to have on, a, on, on an episode where we're celebrating a certain person. But um, maybe somebody won't pick a one of those songs. I don't know. But we're going to get into it. Um, so we will start with, uh, yeah, let's start here with the songs. Um, I guess, let me just, I'll rip off the bandaid on my own end. Uh, my worst song is going to be one of the uh, Sondheim numbers, um, just because Not While I'm Around, uh, yeah, Not While I'm Around is the one in this episode that just kind of sticks with me the least, I guess mm-hmm. I, I would say. I mean, there's some really good stuff in this episode, and um, Not While I'm Around is just very quick. It's also like not the version that they put out on, you know, on iTunes, it's like, this is just Blaine, but on iTunes, it's Mercedes and Rachel too, which I do think is better. Um, but overall, that one is my pick here as my least favorite of the episode. Um, Beth, what would you say is your least favorite of the episode? And also your favorite since you didn't, you know, you weren't with us the yeah. first time. Um, so, the, so for sure, I agree with you that Not While I'm Around is going to be the least, uh, my least favorite purely because I actually think in a weird way this would have been better for uh, Kurt to sing at the end. Cause he's the one who's real. I mean, he put his life on the line. Not while I'm around, I'm going to, you know, no one's going to harm you. Not while I'm around kind of thing. I think that that's, I think that that speaks more to his character than I understand why they do, you know, his partner and, yeah. you know, his saying that, but, um, but I also agree. I, I, I feel like it's just kind of a slow moment in an otherwise mm-hmm. moving forward episode. And I think that it could have been a little bit more powerfully done other than that. Um, my favorite I I really uh, I really liked the the opening and now that I understand contextually what it was about. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what, I, what what was it? What was it? Um, no one is alone. No one is alone. Mm. Here we go. I figured it out. Uh, but I also just Truly. I just love that song. And have I you was, seen Into the Woods at all, uh, Matt? Or no? Um, I do think I saw it in high school. Like I think like one of the mm. show one of the schools around us did it. But I don't have like a strong enough memory. I couldn't tell you much about it. Okay. There it used to be a Netflix. I don't know if it still is or not, but they used to have the original Broadway recording with Bernadette Peters as the yes, witch on Netflix. And I highly recommend taking the time to watch that one and then watch the movie if you can. Um, because I think that the movie is, is fine, but I think that the the musical the stage is plays always so better, good. Yeah. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say I think that No One Is Alone is my favorite just because it's set a really good tone for what the entirety of the episode's going to be right that mm-hmm. no one is truly ar- alone like mercedes has sam sam has mercedes right you have you know blaine and kurt uh rachel and kurt um you you have all these intersecting kind of relationships and even with all their plot points it kind of sets up the unity of like at the end of the day we have each other and we're not alone even though we're facing our own battles or having inner conflict right mon what's your ali's favorite of this episode um. Yeah, I guess nothing's gonna harm you. Not while I'm around. It's kind of an obvious choice, only because there's no. It's not colorblind. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's yeah, not a lot it's of. It's not uh, colorblind. Here. It's not. You make me feel like a natural woman. It's not. No one is alone. It's not. I'm still here. I almost like... said Broadway baby though. <laughs> Because it's I can't probably maybe I listen to that from time to time, even though Rachel got an F 
yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Blaine. Sorry. Don't be sorry. <laughs> Just uh, keep in mind that you are now back to back Blaine performances, uh, as we are still yet to see him in person, and we are going to uh, to tell him. Fuck Darren Chris. Stop it. Chris. <laughs> I can't wait to see the headlines like. Two fans kicked out of Darren Chris concert. Oh, please. I don't know him. <laughs> I do not know this man uh, when he starts <laughs> chanting whatever he's going to chant. Yeah, it'll just. Matt will throw me right under the bus. As a matter of fact, he'll be like on the six o'clock news or 11 o'clock news being one of the people in the interview. Like, did you know this part? Like, no, I've never no. seen him in my life before. <laughs> he just. He just started acting crazy. I, I would absolutely love for the days after that for like the Matt Lagory exposed party happening on Twitter where they're <laughs> like, oh, my God, he said he didn't know him. But look at all this. He's got like, oh. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, my About God, Matt, Glee. What? Matt tries to like delete the, the whole scene. <laughs> like, like, I have the I have the keys, baby. I got the power to do so. So uh, don't touch me. Tweet, you, can't, you can't delete the tweets. Whatever. Um, all right. Let's uh, give our updated slushy uh, ratings for this episode. Beth, are you familiar with the scale? I'm not. You're going to have to let me in on this. So uh, how many times do you want to slushy the episode from zero, meaning it's a perfect episode? You don't want to slushy it at all? Or five times, meaning you want to you hated it and you want to give it five slushies. So zero means you loved it, the best episode that you've ever seen of the show or whatever. Um, and five means it was terrible. Uh, the first time through, Aman and I both actually had the same slushy rating. We both only gave it one slushy. So um, uh, Aman, I'll, I'll let you lead off here. Where do you... Uh, feel in comparison to your one the first time around um i think i probably feel the same i think it's there are a few things in this in this episode that are a little um yeah i don't think i feel any different from the first time so i'm gonna stick with my one yeah um i guess if i'm if i'm going in any direction it's not down but it would be up maybe i would give it one and a half um it's I'm just thinking of like yeah, the Sam and Mercedes stuff I did, you know, enjoy, um, you know, a lot of cringe moments from Sam. But overall, we get to a good place. And um, like I said, I love the Mercedes of it all. Um, and then the Rachel and Blaine and Kurt stuff like it's not all the most fun. It's you know, it's definitely some compelling stuff there. But um, so I don't know. Actually, yeah, I, I think um, I think I'm actually going to bump it up to a one and a half slushy. It doesn't make a huge difference, but um I feel like ones, uh, I like other one episodes. Um, I kind of like more than Bash, so eh, one and a half. And Beth, what are you thinking? Um, I'm thinking that because I had two moments where I would have liked to throw in a, a slushy on people. Um, one of which being Sam at the dinner party. I went, shut your mouth up! I need to throw this slushy on you right now. You just need to <laughs> stop, shut up, and listen. And then the other one, um, just, I, I, just generally speaking, I would like to throw one on Rachel for this episode. Um, so I'm going to give it two just because I feel the desire to throw two of them on there. But in terms of like the overall episode, I agree with like, oh, I think one is fine, but. But, you know, I'll say two. I'm just going to be different. I'm going to go for the two. That is great. Yeah. And uh, the the fun part is that you also get to specifically throw, uh, I guess, a slushy on either of them because we also give out a shoe star, which is the worst person <laughs> of the episode. Uh, we already went around the first time with the gold stars to the best person in each episode. And now on our second time through some of these episodes, we're giving out the shoe star, the worst person of the mm. episode. And uh, does that I mean, I guess you can lead us off here. You sound like you have two contenders. <laughs> I think that ultimately... I have to give it to Rachel because I think Sam actually learns versus I don't think Rachel learns anything other than I guess I shouldn't be that big of a bitch to my friends. Like, that's really it. And I'm like, okay, cool. 
that's something that you've apparently quote unquote learned on half these episodes. So, um, so I'm going to give it to Rachel. I'm also going to give it to Rachel. It just bounced right off of that. It's uh, as I was watching it, I'm like, who's the only person in this episode that I can think of right now that is just uh, not leaving a great taste in your mouth. I mean, there's definitely arguments to be made that, you know, uh, for I mean, for Sam for a little bit and then for uh, for um, I guess Kurt, maybe like if if we talk about more of that conversation that Kurt and Rachel had and the fact that Kurt's really not being the most supportive, uh, there's some stuff there. But overall, Rachel is just very negative with a lot of stuff here. And uh, Rachel gets mine. Screw and- you, Rachel. Is Amon going to make it three for three? So good. Um, yeah, I think I have to. Yeah, yeah, because she's she's pretty nasty in this episode, and she just does not make any. All of the decisions that she makes in this episode are wrong. So, yeah, I I think uh, she's the best one. She's the worst. We love a the, messy she's the queen. Best of the worst. She's the worst. <laughs> best. She's the best. Worst, rather. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Rachel then uh, you know sweeps the board here for. Some shoe stars, and uh, that's fine because she hasn't really gotten any uh, lately. I mean, since we've picked back up on these rewatches, uh, you know, with a couple episodes back, she has not gotten any, but she did get some back a while ago, whatever. Um, so Rachel made her <laughs> way back to the board where she belongs, and that's that. Um, just overall, Beth, uh, is there any other Glee takes that you have uh, that you wanted to share before we close out talking about the the, the show Glee itself? Um, Just overall, what I liked about Glee in the first season was that I liked that they were like, I, I liked the way that it was filmed and the cadence of it, that they were like the losers, the outcasts of the high school, like these different things to it. But as it slowly morphed into like an after school special show, I like, I kind of lost the charm for me that it had in the first, I don't know, like season, season and a half. Um, that's not to say it's not a good show, but I think where it made it really unique when it came out was like, you're rooting for all these <laughs> kids that are just not winning and they're kind of, they're coming together. They have their small moments and then they lose it. And then, you know, the, all the things that come in between that. Cause I think all of us can connect with feeling like that at one way or another, even if you were the star football player or whatever, I'm sure you ha- felt like a loser at some moment. Um, and so I just generally feel like Glee was such an interesting show. Uh, it is a show that even though I stopped watching about halfway through it, I definitely think that, you know, having watched this episode and many others that passed the time that I finished watching, it still holds up. It's still a good show. It's entertaining. Um, and just recognizing that you kind of have to take out some of the realism sometimes and just kind of go for the ride. Um, that's what I like about mm-hmm. Glee is that you – don't have to think too too hard at times you can just be entertained right exactly a lot of the the chaos a lot of the stuff that like (laughs) many people will look at and be like oh this is really stupid is like yeah no it is stupid but like that's part of the point of being a glee fan that it's a lot of stupid stuff and we just embrace it and love it so you know at least yeah it's like it's like when you remember when boy meets world was like kind of cute and like whatever and then they got to college and it literally was like an after school special like every single time they were like Topanga might be pregnant oh my god she's pregnant and then she's like I'm not pregnant I'm just fat and they're like oh my god we're so sorry we were fat but like, this is like Sean's parents are dying like all the time like it's just like all these things that they like every episode had like that moment where like somebody would storm off dramatically like that's what it kind of felt like Glee was getting to at some points um but I would say that you know both shows are both Great to watch anyway for that entertainment factor if you're not taking everything too seriously. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, Aman, I did not yet tell my story. 
Ooh. Oh my god, I forgot I forgot. Go ahead. <laughs> That's okay. We were, you know, all in on the uh the theming of the episode and why we're here. Um just a really bizarre situation that happened to me about a week ago today that I, you know, kind of have to tell on the podcast. Um that I tried to get in contact with him on as it was happening, but he was too busy for me and didn't react or respond until the following morning. So oh it's a good thing god. I wasn't in danger. Oh my god. If you were in danger, I would hope that I would be the last person that you would call. What if because it was what, serious and what I needed I, I don't know. What am I gonna do? <laughs> Apparently nothing. Anyway, okay. So the story was um just again, very strange story, so bear with me. Um so uh, if, if anyone's not familiar uh, with Naya, Naya's sisters, uh, her name is Nikayla. She's, um, <laughs> why am I about to go pull out the Wikipedia biography? Um, she's, I don't know, like 20 something. Um, she's a model in LA. She, um, had a unfortunate situation last week where her Twitter account was hacked. Um, also her TikTok was hacked. Um, so the person who had hacked her, uh, Twitter account, was posting some disgusting stuff on there, um, using some disgusting words and just saying a lot of like, it it was, it was not a a great situation. Um, they ended up changing her Twitter handle. They ended up just, uh, putting out her TikTok password so that people could go get into her account there, which people did. Um, and to get to the end of the story, all, all ended well. She has her accounts back and everything is good now, but the chaos for me, um, and why am I involved? Good question. So she, her account is is hacked at this point, and I'm looking at it like, oh my god, this sucks. All I can do, all anybody can do, really, is report the tweets, report the account, so that Twitter shuts it down, and you know you can try to help in any w- small way. So then, at some point, I had saw that they changed her account's name, and I was like, well, a, why would they do that? And b, who is now the owner of the Twitter account at Nikayla Rivera? Like they got rid of the name. Somebody has it now, right? So I was like, uh, should I go see if the name is available to like hold it for her? And I was like, why would I do that? But like, I kind of feel like I should do that. So I like, I have an alt account, which is not an active account. Nobody go looking for it. It's just a random account, um, that whatever. Um, so I went on that one and I changed the account's name to at Nikayla Rivera. And next thing I know, it was like confirmed. And I was like, oh my God, what, what do I do now? Like I have this person's account. I'm sitting here with, with with Nikayla Rivera's Twitter handle in the palm of my hands and her account still hacked. And I'm like, this is weird. I, I don't know why I just did this. I think I did a good thing, but like, how am I going to get in contact with her? I have no idea if she's going to like check her DMS. So I did DM her uh, on Instagram. And eventually after like 25 minutes, she eventually saw the message, which I was like, Oh no, is she going to answer? She answered. And she was just like very appreciative and thankful that like, because the way that I phrased it, I was like, I know this is bizarre, but I took your Twitter handle just so that it would be in like safe hands. I was like, I know you have no idea who I am, so you don't know that it's in safe hands, but uh, trust me, it's in safe hands. So I was like, whenever you figure this all out, like, let me know and I can get you your Twitter Twitter handle back. I was like, because you don't know, like what worst case scenario, somebody could have like snatched up the Twitter handle and like, you know, tried to sell it back to her and been like, oh, if yeah. you want your Twitter handle back, like, you know, Venmo me $3,000. So I was like, obviously I'm not doing that. So I was like, let me just get it since yeah it's you asked for five thousand exactly <laughs> right <deal>. so <laughs> so I'm, I'm sitting there like why did i involve myself in this i'm messaging him on he's not answering kirsten luckily answered so i was able to like freak out to her like why am i involved in this um but yeah so she was very thankful very appreciative um eventually you know she, i gave her the password to that account and she just like logged in so she could take it back i have no idea what happened from there i lost the alt account because now she, it's all hers and i was like it's fine i didn't need it for anything there's no what tweets. A moment <laughs> it was so bizarre like, no big deal nikita rivera just you know has my old alt now <laughs> right so i'm like well so i don't know what she did with the account i assume that like she didn't like 
I have a truly no idea. So uh, at the end of the day, she has her account back with her account's name back, which, you know, I guess, you know, hair flip, uh, you know, you're welcome. Um, no. <laughs> um, and, and somebody, I think, did the exact same thing for her TikTok account. Like somebody, uh, after they changed that a name, that name on that account, like they also took up Nikayla Rivera to, to give it back to her. So somebody else had the same idea that I did, but it was just a bizarre night. Oh, I don't, I don't know why uh, I ended up in that, but again, I think I did a good thing and she seemed appreciative and you know, she kept saying thank you. So I was like, okay, you're welcome. Here you go. Have a great night. <laughs> that was it. Oh my gosh. If anybody wants to do that for Josh Groban, let me know. Cause that'll be a great way to slide into his DMS. That's... <laughs> I know he's dating somebody, but you know, I just have always felt like Josh Groban and I would be a great couple. <laughs> so you're encouraging everybody to go hack his Not account. Not you telling people to hack Josh Groban. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. People are like on Twitter, like freaking out about like, Oh my God, this is horrible. Like why would anybody do this? And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, what do I like? She's not answering me. Like, why do I have her account? Like, what do I do with this woman's account? Like, I love, I just love that you are playing hot potato with this account. This yeah, like, so <laughs> well, it's great because I, you know, so I, I'm, I'm friends with a few, um, verified people, one of which is Trixie Mattel from drag race and Trixie couldn't get, at Trixie Mattel on TikTok because somebody had already taken it by the time she joined. And so I just remember like the whole rigmarole she had to do to try to like get that person to give the handle to her and all that kind of stuff. So to have somebody who was looking out for her best interests and reach out to her and do Wait, all this stuff, I'm sure did Trixie have to like end up paying the person or what? I'm pretty sure. I'm sure it was just like some fan who was like, Oh my God, Trixie DM me. This is crazy. Like sure. Take your <laughs> handle queen. Like I'm sure it was something like that, but you know what I mean? Because I mean, not, well, not that I'm encouraging people to do stuff like that, but I mean like that could be rather lucrative. Like, no, I'm just, sitting back and be like, we should just make a list of celebrities who aren't quite yet on TikTok and just, just do like, at blah, blah, blah. And I mean, people do that with websites as well. Like if you yeah. think of common phrases, they like they they'll buy up the domain mm -hmm. so that whenever someone ever, you know, gets a little a pop and they want to use it, then you're like, oh, now you got to sell it. So right. it's like, well, listen, I own the <laughs> I own the domain to dumbbitchenergy.com. So here we are. <laughs> um, so that's just what waiting I've done for it. Yeah. Life. Well, because Dylan and I, when we created our podcast, we were going to be Dumb Bitch Energy. But then I decided that with my current job, I probably shouldn't have a podcast with the title Bitch in it. So we decided not to do that. But, Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> so that's my Although weird story. Although it is filthy enough if you listen to it. That's incredible, man. It was weird. Um, and I like that. I, like I said, I ended up in a, in a no. positive place, but just... I am sad that I did not uh, come to your aid in your time of need while it was happening. I was but I, this, the story, the story afterwards was equally as thrilling. So yeah, and I'm, I'm just like I, Matt saved the day. Uh, yeah, there's, there's the story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got nothing else there. Um, I'll take uh, any. I'll, I'll do an AMA on Reddit, and we can, uh, you know, go forward talking about it on the, on the Glee subreddit. Um, I, I think that's it for this for this episode. Anything else, Amon? Um, no, I believe that is it as well. Thank you guys so much for listening once more. Um, I'm not sure when this is, this is coming out next Friday. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to do a Christmas Eve, maybe like the day before, maybe like a Thursday. We'll see. We'll see. But in any case, week. happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. I know it's already since past, but I'm just saying it just to say it. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy New Year to everybody. Um, you. Thank you. 
Yeah, yes. Thank you to uh, for to Beth for coming on our show. Thank you. Um, hope to me. have you back for more. I think it's interesting because you haven't seen some of the episodes. So yeah, let's have you back for another one. Another one. Yeah, that you sure thing. Seen. Be fun. Um, where can people find you? Sure, you can find me at Augusta Wind Eleven. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, TikTok, all with that name. Um, and Aman and I will be coming back relatively soon um, to not only talk about Drag Race, but to clean up Dragula, which is going to end this week, too. So that's going to be crazy. Yep. Um, you can find me on Hot Mess Moments as well, covering Lost in the Nanny with Dylan Zaner, um, also known as 8-Bit Dylan, um, and also on My Weekly Meltdown. Even though we just finished uh, Survivor, I think we're going to get into what we call our BS breakdowns, which is just us shooting the shit on the show in January before Celebrity Big Brother starts. Um, but thank Same. you both so much for having me. This was so much fun, and I would love to come back anytime. Yes, thank you so much yeah. for being here. I'm glad we uh, worked it out, made it happen finally, despite Amon's yeah. ridiculous schedule that just bounced us all over the place. Oops, did I say um, that on air? Um, <laughs> and also bad. me being fully sick, right? Like, yeah, I did five hours too. of a charity stream and then couldn't talk <laughs> for the rest of the day. And I was like, well, this is a problem. Maybe so. we do need to do more video. I like being able to see his face as he's uh, reacting <laughs> <laughs> off air. Um, so, yeah, no, that's all we have. Again, thanks to Beth for joining us. Um, jealous of you two about to be, uh, you know, kicking off a season to drag, ra drag race. Um, excited for this new cast. So that'll be fun. Um, and yeah, that's all I got. We're going to see Darren in a couple of days unless, uh, you know, some other circumstances interfere. But we'll let you guys know. We'll keep you posted. And uh, that's all that I got. All right, guys. Well, uh, you can follow us um, at Choir Room Pod on Twitter. You can follow us individually at Amon Adwin and Matt Lagori. Um, leave star ratings and reviews where we get your podcast. We'll read them aloud on the show. And until next time, we will glee you later, baby. Bye.